So we are diving back into Luke, starting the new year off in the Gospel of Luke. Since it's been a while, I kind of want to help you kind of wrap your head around it a little bit. We are in Luke 18. That's where we're going to pick it up and to kind of dust that off a little bit. I want to show you an outline of the Gospel of Luke. Just to kind of help you find your place, we're going to be in chapter 18. So you see the beginning of the book. One to three, preparation for ministry. That's kind of all the birth narrative, infancy narrative stuff. And then four to nine is ministry in Galilee. That's Jesus grabbing, you know, gathering his disciples and going around Galilee, mostly teaching and helping them understand who he is. Chapter 10 takes a turn. And then 10 to 18, that's the big chunk we've been in for a while. A massive chunk of the book is them road tripping to Jerusalem. So it is all them on the road traveling to Jerusalem, and then chapter 19 makes the turn, and 19 to the end of the book, 24, is Jesus in Jerusalem, it is the cross. So I want to point that out for a couple reasons, to help us wrap our head around where we're at in the story, but also to kind of get at, understand, you can't just say, oh Jesus, he was a great teacher. As you look at this outline, Jesus' primary ministry isn't teaching. Over half the book, at 10, it all moved toward the cross. It is all about Jesus purchasing our salvation. That's primarily what Jesus came to do. Of course, he taught along the way. You could break it down in two sections. One to nine, Jesus helping them see who he is. So when it turns in chapter nine is the transfiguration, when Jesus starts glowing and they finally get it. You are the Christ. Once they understand one to nine who Jesus is, 10 to 24 is Jesus doing what he came to do, to die for our sins. So you see here, we're in chapter 18. We're about to turn the corner. As you read the text, pick up on the clues. Like every bit of it's the word of God and it teaches us something. And so you're going to see kind of where these outlines come about. You're going to see that in the text. It talks about in Jerusalem and it's going to mention, okay, they made their way into Jericho. Well, that tells us something. Just like when you're watching a movie and it says, you know, and then they landed in Vegas. That tells us something, like they're about to get buck wild. Like, okay, that triggers something in your mind. So whenever for them it triggers, okay, it says they made their way into Jericho. Let me show you a map to help you understand where they're at. So if you follow that red line, kind of that dot right before they get to Jerusalem, you see Jericho. It's about 15 miles from Jerusalem. So they've been on this massive long journey. This kind of reminds me of where we're at in the story. You know when you take a long plane ride, about 45 minutes before you land, you could feel it, right? The plane start to descend. That's when the captain comes on and he always starts talking. And every captain, it's like they've never talked on that thing before. They're like, this is your captain speaking. <laughs> oh, welcome. You know? And so he starts, and this is that kind of that final, like we're going to begin the initial descent. Like Luke here is giving us, hey, it's a good time to use the bathroom. We're about to approach our destination. So that's kind of where we're at on the journey. This is the final descent into Jerusalem. So kind of that's where we're at in the story. So let's pick it up. We're going to be in Luke 18. I'll have it on the screen as always. If you're following along, we are in verse 31. So please follow along as I read. Taking the 12, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood 
none of these things. These things were hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. So Jesus, on this whole journey, over and over, and this is just in the Gospel of Luke, seven times he alludes, like, hey, when we get there, like, I'm going to be killed. I mean, this is the third time he just outright tells them, when we get there, look, we're almost there. They're going to kill me. I'm going to die on a cross and rise again. And they're, that's weird. I don't get it. Like the whole time, like, every, like hey, I'm going to die. They're like, whew. That's weird. You know, they just have no grasp of what he's doing. So I want you to know, I don't condone all of the morality of the Simpsons. I don't even watch it, but I am going to show a clip. So <laughs> To kind of grasp, it's a perfect way to capture how you know, the disciples are grasping what Jesus is saying. This is Homer Simpson going into the witness protection program. Tell you what, sir, from now on you'll be uh, Homer Thompson at Terror Lake. Let's just practice a bit, hmm? When I say, hello, Mr. Thompson, you'll say, hi, Jack. Hello, Mr. Thompson. <laughs> Remember now, your name is Homer Thompson. I got you. Hello, Mr. Thompson. Oh, now, when I say hello, Mr. Thompson, and press down on your foot, you smile and nod. No problem. Hello, Mr. Thompson. I think he's talking to you. You wonder if that's how Jesus feels, like this detective, like... Guys, I'm going to die. Like, we don't get it. Gosh, like, what else can I do? Like, they have some, like, Homer Simpson-level dunsity in their life. I don't know if that's a word, but you get the point, right? Like, they're just not getting it. Jesus like, hey, we're going to get there. They're going to kill me, and I'm going to rise again. And the disciples are like, I think he's talking to you. Like, just can't get it. They are absolutely spiritually just blind. They cannot see what Jesus is saying and what he is doing in their life. Utterly blind. So kind of that's where the next story picks up with Jesus and his disciples heading in. Let's read more. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in the front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. So they're traveling. We get the story. There's this blind man. And he's begging on the side of the road. And we have a filter for this. And we see that people holding signs by the freeway. That's what this guy's doing. This guy, this culture, there's no disability. There's no SSI. This guy's only hope is you know, religious people making a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, giving him money. That's this guy's only shot. And here he is waiting. And this is actually, we probably know from, I mean, this is most likely Bartimaeus, but we don't see his name here. That is you know, seen in the other gospels. But here he is begging. I mean, just imagine that. You can't see anything. You see this commotion. You start screaming. I almost had everybody close their eyes and scream out, Jesus, son of David, as loud as you can. But none of you would have done it, so I, I'm not going to make you. But just picture that. So here's this guy begging, and then here is this commotion. At this point, Jesus is he's growing in popularity. He's got paparazzi, and that's what's happening. This guy hears a commotion. 
I mean, everywhere Jesus goes, there's a crowd and people are all just watching him the whole way. TMZ's following him. And so as he's there, you know, the blind guy nudges one of the TMZ camera guys like, what is happening? He's like, that's Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. And he just starts yelling. They try to hush him up and this guy won't stop. He just keeps screaming. And then it says, Jesus, stop the crowd. Again, this massive crowd, I don't know why, but I just picture, you know, when Forrest Gump was running and he just stopped running? Like, that's the scene I picture. Everybody's just running and he just stops. Everybody's like, quiet, he's going to say something. I'm kind of tired. <laughs> you see Forrest Gump? It's good. It's a good movie. But that's like the picture that comes to mind. Like, Jesus is going along and he just stops. And everybody waits on him. And he says, bring that guy to me. That guy's screaming, bring him over. Let's see how the story concludes. When he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So he calls the guy over, has him brought over. The guy asked for healing and instantly, I mean, it's so hard to just get jaded. Oh, yeah, Jesus healed another blind man. I mean, just try to imagine. Either you knew a blind man, let alone you were blind from birth, and you see for the first time. It says he started glorifying God. I mean, everybody just goes berserk watching this blind man get healed. It says he just went on, started following Jesus, and then everybody was praising God moving forward. There's always, I mean, this isn't just kind of another, oh, Jesus did a, a cool miracle. What can we glean from this? Because there's always more than just, oh, Jesus healed a blind man. I think there's more going on. What I hope that we can glean this morning, that you can get a better perspective of the real you, your real problem, and the real solution you need. Like, who are we really? I think this passage tells us something about ourselves, tells us about the real you, what your problem really is, and your solution. And that's where I want to go this morning. So as you think of the, you know, who you really are, who is the real you? As we read these stories, I mean, a good exercise is to kind of find yourself in the story. You know, picture the whole scene, right? This big crowd, Jesus going on. I love this about Jesus. There's never been a more important man on this, to walk foot, to step foot on this earth with a more important task ahead of him and he's not too busy for this guy. I love that. I mean, how many times I'm so busy and I got TPS reports to fill out that I can't help somebody because, oh, I'm a big deal and I'm really important, and then somebody bothering me is just a nuisance. Jesus was going to save the world. He's the most important person in the world. If ever was a time, like, I'm sorry, I just can't help right now, Jesus stops to help this man. I absolutely love that. So here's Jesus stopping. There's the crowd, the blind man. Do you see yourself as the right person? Most of us would probably naturally put ourselves in the crowd, right? We're in a crowd here. We're kind of following Jesus at a distance, kind of impressed with him and kind of impressed at the things that he does. That is not who the scripture is drawing us into. The person that the scripture upholds, the person that you need to see yourself as is the blind man. That is what the scripture encourages us to. And I think in that, it really starts to kind of give texture to how do we see ourselves? Who is the real you first? There's two things I want to get at. I want you to understand the real you is helpless. 
Do you see yourself that way? It's helpless. Now, this is very un-American. We pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. We can do anything we put our mind to. The picture here of this guy is he is utterly helpless. Did you catch, even when Jesus called him over? It's not like, hey, buddy, get over here, and he came over. It said he had to be brought to Jesus. He couldn't even make his way to Jesus. And when he gets to Jesus, it's not like the blind man, he tells him, like, well, here, I want you to do these eye exercises. We're going to get through this, and now start eating vegan, and make sure, you know, you're gluten-free for sure, and Mediterranean diet. Like, he doesn't give him a bunch of stuff, like, hey, here's how you can get through your blindness. The blind guy, as much as anybody knows, he's helpless. Either Jesus heals me, or I got no shot. But so much of us as good Americans, and maybe it is for you in 2020, you're going to become the man that, you know, God intended. This is the year that you turn it around. If that is you coming in here, resolutions, you're going to turn your life around. I'm sorry to disappoint you, because that's not true. You are helpless. I mean, all this, you know, finally, I'm going I'm to stop drinking. And this is the year, man, I'm going to stop looking at porn. And this year, I'm going to stop cheating. And I'm going to become the man, the husband, the dad, the wife, whatever it is for you. This is the year I'm going to do it. You can't. We're helpless. That's the picture of how we come to God in utter humility and desperation. So that's first how I want you to see yourself. as completely dependent upon God. You are helpless. It gets better. That's just the first point. All right. So one, you're helpless. Congratulations. Happy 2020. All right. Two, told you it gets better. You are significant. Do you understand that you matter to God? Everything in this story about this guy just screams, just reeks of insignificance of who he is. This guy is a nuisance. He's a nobody. He doesn't matter. As he's screaming out, what did the leaders, probably religious leaders up front, what are they trying to do? Stop it. Don't bother Jesus. He's got more important things to do. Your thing doesn't matter. You're a nuisance. You ever feel that? You ever feel like, does God really care? Do I really matter? In our culture, it's no different. You know, social media is you got the somebodies, you got the influencers, and then you got the rest of us. Do you feel like you really matter? The world screams at us. You're not a somebody. You're insignificant. That's the message we get from the world. And you're telling me that this blind guy didn't think that's the message from God. This guy is broke. He's a beggar. He's blind. You're telling me he didn't go, God, you know, how could God care about me? If he did, I wouldn't be blind and broke on the side of the road. You tell me he didn't doubt that he mattered to God. Do you ever do that in your life? Whatever trial you're going through, you said, if God really cared about me, then my dad wouldn't have died. If God really cared about me, if I mattered to God, my kid wouldn't be sick. If God really cared about me, then I would still have a job. Or if God really cared about me, in whatever trial you go through, we use that as evidence to say that God doesn't care about me. I don't matter. That's the message that this guy got his whole life up until the moment Jesus walked into his life. Everything flips. This nobody who nobody cared about, Jesus stops everything and says, I want to talk to that guy. You matter to me. That God is big enough. And you ever say that in all the wars in the world? 
You know, everything going on, does God really care about me? Yes. We have this view I even think of, it's a wonderful life. I think it's a bad view of prayer. Although I cry every time I watch the movie, I'm not saying that. But, you know, at the end, we're like, oh, God, I'm not a praying man, but show me the way, Father. You know, like, I mean, that's that big end prayer, like, you know, okay, God doesn't really care about me, but I get like a couple big wishes and a couple chips that I can push on the table. That's not what it's like. That God doesn't really care about you. God has way more important things than maybe, you know, you get one big prayer. Listen, God cares about you. You matter to him. What is going through that hurts you hurts him. I wish I could sit down and tell every one of you and look every one of you in the eye and tell you that. Because that's the heart of Jesus. Whatever you're going through, it matters. And it matters to him. And God cares about you. So that's the real you that I want you to kind of wrap your head around. Yes, you're helpless, but God does care about you. Can you imagine this question that Jesus asks asks this beggar? How insane. Jesus, the God of the universe, turns to a beggar and says, hey, how can I serve you? That's insane. We get so mad when we tell God to jump and he doesn't say how high. Like, we get so mad that we tell God all the things he needs to do and he doesn't do them, and we're just, like, blown away that God won't dance when we tell him to dance. You know what's more insane? That God asks you. That God cares and says, what is going on in your life? Tell me. Can I help? I want you to hear God ask you that this morning. Hey, what you're going through, it matters to me. How can I help? Now, again, I wish I could just give you a blank check that God's going to do this or that. It's just not that simple because here's the deal. You matter, but you got to understand what your real problem is. And your real problem isn't as obvious as you may think it is. Because here's the deal. Even the way Jesus asked the question, you start to wonder, like, okay, something else is going on here. Jesus brings the blind guy over and says, hey, what can I do for you? It's not in the text, but I'm pretty sure the blind guy responded like, man, quit playing. I'm blind. Like, if you can do this, let's do it. You know, like, hey, this is clear. There is something deeper going on than just, you know, Jesus needs to get rid of of whatever thing is making you uncomfortable. Every miracle that Jesus does has a meaning. He doesn't just do miracles flippantly so you can have an easier life. Even when he heals the blind man. It's not just this guy getting sight. It's people understanding that he's the Messiah. That was a promised miracle of the Messiah. So every miracle has a meaning. So whatever you're going through, I want you to think that way. There's something spiritually going on in the midst of your physical trial. That's why Luke, and that's why put them together, and that's why we read them together. Do you see how he paired that? The the physical blindness of the blind man is right next to the spiritual blindness of the disciples. So it's not just that you need, you know, whether it be a spouse or more money or getting over your sickness. I remember in premarital counseling, the the counselor, the pastor telling us, always remember the issue underneath the issue. Right? In marriage, you're arguing about, like, the issue up here. 
and you think you're arguing about dishes and lemons and dishwashers, but there's like an issue underneath that of like, hey, I don't feel loved by you. Like, let's address that. Jesus is always more concerned about the issue underneath the issue. And we miss him because we're so worried about this. And we think it's obvious. This is my problem. Your problem is beyond whatever trial you're in. Your real problem is spiritual blindness. That's the real problem in this passage, that this person can't see Jesus. You think you need more money, but you don't. You need to see Jesus in your life and experience the purpose of what you were created for. This guy didn't just get sight. He followed Jesus. He found his purpose. He found peace. So much more than whatever is bothering you right now. You need to understand my real problem is I can't see God, and I'm disconnected and broken from God spiritually. You know what's fascinating? I mean, oftentimes, God uses a trial to bring clarity in our life. I've heard that a million times. It's fascinating. You watch this story. The blind guy sees Jesus better than anybody. The blind guy has better vision than anybody. What did everybody else say? Oh, that's Jesus of Nazareth. That's a title of a man. That's the man, Jesus. He comes from Nazareth. What does the blind guy say? Jesus, son of David. That's the term of a Messiah. Everybody else saw a man, and here's the blind guy able to see the Messiah. That is my hope for you. That you realize your greatest need is to be able to see Jesus, to be able to experience God come into your life and find purpose and peace. Not more money, not a new car. God cares about those things. He really does. But God has a greater agenda for you, and he wants you to be able to see him. It reminds me of the old hymn, and it has to be inspired by this passage. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Maybe you're familiar with that? Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Here's the blind man, and Jesus is passing by. Pass me not. Oh, hear my humble... I'm not going to do the whole thing, but you get the point, right? Like... That's this beautiful hymn. You know the hymn writer who wrote that? Fanny Crosby, she understood that there's something far more important than you just not feeling uncomfortable. It's to see Jesus. Like spiritual blindness, to be able to see God in your life is your greatest issue. Fanny Crosby, here she is, was one of the greatest hymn writers in our nation's history, wrote over 8,000 hymns. Blessed Assurance, one of the famous, you know, hymns that we still sing today. She knew that your greatest issue isn't physical blindness, it's spiritual blindness, and she knows. She was blind since she was six weeks old. The greatest hymn writer in our nation's history couldn't see and could see Christ with a clarity that so many of us just lack. So you think it's obvious when Jesus comes up to you, what will you do for me? That wasn't obvious to her. People asked her all the time, isn't it a shame? Why did God make you blind? She said, that's not a shame. When Jesus asked her, what do you want from me? She wouldn't want physical sight. Her prayer is that a million people would be able to see Jesus through her hymns. 200 years later, do you know how many copies of her hymns are in print? 100 million. Listen to this quote from her when you just see what your real need is. And this is when people would ask her, Wouldn't you, don't you wish, how could God make you blind if he loved you? Listen to her response. If at my birth I had been able to make one petition to my creator, 
it would have been that I should be made blind. Because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. I don't care to see stuff right now. I don't care to get over this. My great hope is to see him. Don't feel bad for me. I see him with great clarity, even though my eyes don't work. And what a beautiful picture. I mean, what a wonderful saint. She knew her real issue was to be able to see Jesus. That was her great hope and her great hope for everyone else. She said, if you'd have given me sight, I would have been distracted by too many things. So many of us are chasing the very things that cloud our ability to see Jesus. Money, you know, our own vanity, beauty, all those things make it hard to see Jesus. That's clearly a barrier in Scripture. Now, trials, tribulation, the thing that grants us clarity to see him, we reject it at every turn. What if you got to that point that Fanny Crosby did, that blind Bartimaeus got to and said, all right, it's not about me just getting my way and what I want. God, my real need is I need to see you. I need to see you show up in my life. I need to find peace and purpose and more money isn't going to do that for you. Your real need is to see God. Your real need is to not let him pass you by. God is showing up in your life and maybe even using hard things to cause a commotion like he did with this blind guy. Don't miss him. Don't let God just pass you by. And the real solution, so what do you need to do? Is cry out to Jesus. What did this blind man do? The only thing he could, Jesus, help me. I can't do it. Heal me. You don't need help. You need healed. You don't need someone to give you a hand. You need the hope of a Savior. And you could do the only thing that you're capable of doing, the only thing that this blind man was capable of doing. Cry out, Jesus, save me. Put your faith and trust in him. I, even the final song that we're going to give you in a second, we're going to sing over and over, Jesus, Jesus. My hope is that if you're finally in that place where God is healing you of your spiritual blindness, you're finally able to see you're helpless, you're finally able to see that Jesus isn't a good teacher, that Jesus is your only hope to heal you. And all you can do is cry out to him. I don't want you to sing those words, Jesus, Jesus. I want you to cry out those words. If you're finally in that place, cry out to him as your savior, putting your faith in him. And I love that this is genuine faith. This isn't just, hey God, you know, I'll cry out to you so you can give me what I want. I mean, this is, that's why baptism is so important. Because your faith, it is not supposed to be private. It's personal, it's your faith, but it's meant to be public. And if you have that real faith, you're finally in a place where I'm not going to hide that I'm a Christian anymore. I'm just going to have my coming out party. Look, I follow Jesus because he healed me. He's my only hope. We know we're starting to get to the point of genuine faith when you're not just asking for a miracle, that you're humbling yourself. And what happened after he healed him? He followed him. That you're finally to that place where you're ready to say, Jesus 
Help me. I'm in, and I'm going to follow you. Are you in that place? So I've been praying for a miracle this morning, a miracle in your life. Whatever issue that has caused commotion in your life, I want you to know that God cares, that you matter to God. God is showing up in your life. But more than just kind of fix and make your life easier, he wants you to be able to see him. And if you would only cry out to him, as we sing this song, I mean, truly cry out to him, he will show up in your life. And I don't know what that victory will look like, but you will have victory. You will see him moving in your life. I promise you, you will not regret it. What I want to end with is another little prose, one of the verses from another hymn by Fanny Crosby, Blessed Assurance. I mentioned it already. I mean, it's this beautiful hymn written by this wonderful saint, blind since six weeks old. And she, with great clarity, grasped how your life would feel if you experienced that blessed assurance. Let me close and leave you by reading one of these verses. This is blessed assurance, perfect submission. All is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above. Filled with his goodness and lost in his love. That's my hope for you. I don't know what you're going through. But my hope for you, that you will be lost in his love, that you'll hear God take a knee down beside you and say, I'm here for you, how can I help? And you will see him show up in your life. But you gotta cry out to him in faith. You bow your heads and pray with me. Father, would you help us? Father, for those of us that have experienced your healing, would we not look on the world with condemnation, but on com with compassion? God, blindness, people that are blind don't need condemned, they need compassion. Would we as the church who have experienced your healing look to them with nothing but compassion of those that are lost and blind? But God, it is my great hope this morning God, that somebody has been in that place, they've heard over and over about your love for them, but they have been blind to it. That God, that you would heal them, that the Spirit would move in their life right now. And that they would truly hear, God, how much you love them, that they matter to you. God, that they would hear your voice, that they would have the courage to not let you pass by, but to cry out, Jesus, I need you, I'm helpless, and I trust in great faith and hope that you will show up and that you will move and we will all, all be in awe. And we pray all that in Jesus' name, amen.